I, I'm scared. I can't do that. And he was like, well, what's the worst thing that's going to happen to you? And I said, I feel like I'm probably going to die. And he goes, cool, you're going to die. Go do it. And something about accepting the worst possible outcome might happen, even though he knew I wasn't going to die. And I think I knew I wasn't going to die. But it was a accept your worst fear and then push through it kind of thing. And that was the day I learned how to take maximum angle, which has been very foundational in my ski career. Ski or die. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to the Ski or Die podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Montavon. I'm Stevie Island. And today we're going to start off kind of the off-season, our off-season show, um, by answering a bunch of questions we've crowdsourced um, on social, through our text community, things we get asked day to day. Um, but before we get started jumping into all those questions, we got to go over the rules of the show. Um, if you haven't been with us before at Ski or Die, just know that this is a show free of sponsorships. We don't want to run any commercials on this show, which means we need your help to grow our brand. So if you learn anything today, please pass this episode along to somebody else that you think might benefit. That is all we ask um, here on our show. You just got to pay your dues to hang out with us. So um, I think, Stevie, you're going to kind of run the, the list of questions he's kind of put together and uh, compiled and filtered them down. Um, and why don't you get started? Yeah, so these are some questions that we've compiled uh, since we started Ski or Die, um, asking the audience what you know, they wanted answered by the two of us. Um, and to start it off, someone asked us about the Ski or Die name, and if we've ever thought of alternatives because you know, they found it offensive. Yeah, so we've been asked this um, several times over the summer, actually, in traveling. Um, people feel like the word die has some negative connotations to it, and they want to know um, why. They feel like they don't, they're not a good fit for the brand because the word die scares them. Um, basically is what it boils down to. We've heard it said a lot of different ways. So let me tell you a little bit of the backstory behind the name Ski or Die um, and why we don't see the word die as um, negative, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, so there's a very pivotal story in my ski career that um, I like to bring this back to. Um, many years ago, I was skiing with Chet and he asked me to, long story short, he asked me to take a lot of angle out of the buoy. Take his, he said, take maximum angle. And I said, I, I'm scared, I can't do that. And he was like, well, what's the worst thing that's gonna happen to you? And I said, I feel like I'm probably gonna die. And he goes, cool, you're gonna die, go do it. And something about accepting the worst possible outcome might happen, even though he knew I wasn't gonna die. And I think I knew I wasn't gonna die, but it was a accept your worst fear 
and then push through it kind of thing. And that was the day I learned how to take maximum angle, which has been very foundational in my ski career, um, which we could dive into the technical side of that at a different point. But the point is that moment for me was huge because I really learned the power of, first of all, trusting my coach wholeheartedly, you know, going all in, buying into what he says and just doing it. What's the worst that's gonna happen? You're gonna die. Cool, let's go do it. That was such a huge um, leap in my growth that I could have, you know, drug it out for years and fought Chet on, or I could have just done it right there on the next pass, all six buoys, which I did. And um, I learned maybe a whole season's worth of a skill in in one pass. Um, So really for me, ski or die comes down to you're either going to ski and face your fears and and push through them and look fear in the face and tell it no and overcome, or you're going to die. You're going to give in. You're not going to get any better. You're going to cave. You're going to take the easy route. You're going to stay lazy. You're going to stay complacent. That's what ski or die means. doesn't really have to do with death necessarily. Um, But even so, I mean, the only two things in life that are guaranteed are death and taxes. So we just kind of need to accept it, right? Um, But no, ski or die is really about hard work and smart work paired together. I think a lot of people want to argue about, is it better to work harder? Is it better to work smarter? And it's like, how about you do both at the same time? I personally think that's where um, like the best in the world at anything come out ahead of all of us is, yeah, they work smarter, but they, they do work harder. There, there's no shortcuts. There's no sitting on the couch. There's no sleeping in, being lazy. So for me, Ski or Die really resonated with me when Stevie and I dreamt up the brand um, over waffles at a First Watch Cafe. Um, because I really believe in whatever your fear is, okay, like let's bite the bullet, bite the bullet and punch that motherfucker in the face. And let's go. So that's, that's where Ski or Die comes for me. Um, but it's not a ski your heart out and ski stupidly and, you know, go harder and go when you're tired and go till you're hurt and, you know, just like go at it. It's, it's not beat a dead horse. Ski or die is learn, buy in, try, pivot, keep learning, keep trying, stay humble um, and face your fears. That's really what the brand means to me. Um, but, you know, Stevie, you were the other half of creating this brand. So, what did I miss? Yeah, no, I mean, everything you said speaks true to me for sure. Uh, but also something, you know, to add on is for the people who drive multiple hours to go ski, for the people who are breaking ice to go ski, who just refuse to sit on the couch and do nothing about it. So I think that that's a lot of what the brand is about as well. You know, just those people who are, are, aren't willing to, to lay dormant and and we'll do anything to get on the water and continue to ski and yeah. contribute to the sports. You know, I mean, that's huge. It's also for the people in the background who who aren't necessarily skiing, who are driving the boat, who are judging, who are just volunteering their hours on the weekends to maintain sites. You know, all sorts of things like that are, are, are things that come that come to mind when I think of ski or die and what resonates with me. Yeah, I really like that you brought that up because there are a lot of people who have less than ideal conditions, whether it be a a longer commute to the lake or not the best climate. Um, And they really just make the most of what they've got. 
And I admire those people so much. And once again, like those are our skier dyers. Like they're, you know, they might be cold. They might have to throw on a dry suit. They don't only ski when it's nice out and the lake is flat and they feel perfect. Um, and those, those are our people. You know, we admire those people so, so much. Um, but it's the people who walk out and they see a little head tail and they know it's probably going to be flatter tomorrow. So they go back in their house and go, eh, I'll just wait till tomorrow, you know, and then, a lot they, of those. and then they go to a tournament and there's a head tail and they, you know, lose their shit. They don't have to ski in it because they take the easy route. So yeah, I think that really, that really sums it up. It's, it's, it's for all the people who keep trying in the face of any and all kind of adversity. Cool. Well, moving on is a fun one. Where to look when running the course? Where to look? Oh, I know you have a lot of thoughts about when... This is another question we got asked a lot this summer, actually, in person, is where your eyes are. So you, you want to go first? Yeah, I don't know. People will ride in the boat when I ski, and they'll be paying attention solely to where my eyes are looking. And every time they ask me at the end of my set, like, oh, you know, when you came around that two ball, you got in deep, where were your eyes? I'm like, I'm not thinking about where my eyes are. I mean, I guess I get it. You know, maybe it can help your chin alignment and maybe you're just full body alignment if you point your head and eyes towards specific something. Like I know some people will look at the opposite side of the boat, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that allows their chin to be pointed correctly instead of being more open to the boat or, or you know, closed or whatever. Um, so I guess in certain situations, but certain very specific situations i feel like that cue can help people but otherwise i feel like it's a little bit overdone when when it comes to you know amateurs looking at at where people are looking when they're in the course yeah you know i think that in terms of the whole where your eyes are or where your head is conversation you know i like to bring it more towards trick skiing and and make a trick ski analogy out of it and then layer that on top of slalom so in trick skiing if you're going to do a back and a front let's say um you can do a back and lead with your head you can turn your head first and your hips may or may not follow um, but they they will trail the head will make it to the back first and then the hips will um, now you can do a back and a front by leading with your hips and your head is definitely going to come with you at the same time um, one of those is obviously a more efficient trick than the other um, and it's a better foundation for bigger tricks. So you want to lead with the hip first. So when we talk about slalom, in my opinion, um, people want to know, especially like, where are your eyes at the buoy and then out of the buoy? Well, I think that's because people think if I lead with my head, then everything else will come with eventually. And, and what I really encourage you to do is work on getting the hip through in whatever way you say that. Some people, it's finish the turn. Some people, there's a lot of ways to talk about the hip. Get your hip through first. Get good at bringing your hip through. And then you can work on where your head is. Um, because you certainly don't want your head to go further than the hip, right? If you're trying to bring the ski through um, directly perpendicular to the boat, but your head goes further than perpendicular, that's going to bring you up onto a flatter ski harder and faster into the next buoy. Because we're, if you go too far, it has to rebound. Um, that being said, if your head is too open to the boat, you might struggle to hold angle. So I, I do understand the head conversation, but it's not the holy grail of slalom. 
I've heard it many times too. Somebody will write in the book for me and they'll say, oh my God, you did this with your eyes. I'm going to go work on that for a whole set. And I'm like, dude, you got a million other fucking problems we need to work on before you walk, work on your eyes. Well, that is a good point though. If they, if they focus on moving their hip prior to their head, that's a, that's a big one, I think, for yeah. a lot of people. Because then they'll start to realize they need to get their feet under them. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's so much more important than where the hell your head is. Yeah, I mean, you can't really talk about where your head and eyes are independently of a bigger conversation. I just don't think it's that productive. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about where your head and eyes and chin are in relation to um, when you get two hands back on the handle or when you're bringing the hip through, you, you know, it has to be expanded a little bit. I and think you're right. When you have two hands on the handle, that's when you should focus on where your head is. Cause mm-hmm. if it's ahead of you, that's not productive. If it's right. behind you, that's not productive. It needs to be exactly. right overhead, right on stacked on top of your hips and, and feet. Mm-hmm. What I can say is if you're, if, if you're not seeing buoys that you're doing that, that's wrong. You're doing something wrong. <laughs> People who look directly across at the shore and then come up and spot the buoy, I don't know why you would want to ski like in surprise that's land. That's something that people do. Yeah, people do that. Whoa. They're like, I see the buoy at the last minute, and I'm like, That's crazy. That's Holy awesome. Holy shit. <laughs> that's kind of badass though. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think you need to be looking at a buoy at any any point in time. But um, like I said, it's a bigger conversation. It's very specific to you and your skill set, in my opinion. Okay, next question. Okay. Favorite feeling on the water and when that feeling first hit? Favorite feeling on the water. That's a that's kind of a tough one. It's yeah, I mean there's a lot of different different fe- uh, favorite feelings. I don't know. <laughs> like I think when you first learn how to get hooked up properly like out of an offside for instance and you and you mm-hmm. feel the boat and you feel the power that you have in order to, once you have that proper hookup and what you can do with it, I feel like that's, that's really important. Yeah, when you I gain get... like that, that physical knowledge, mm-hmm. that was, that's just like a mind blowing experience, at least for me. And I don't know when specifically that first happened, it's hard to say, but you know, it starts to happen when you start cutting the rope a little bit, you get that swing feeling and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, like a whole new world just opened up. Yeah, I would have to agree. Gaining like a higher degree of physical literacy about your off, the offside is is a super cool feeling. Um, to feel like confident, like oh, I know how to come into this buoy, how to come out of this buoy. Not like I need to survive my offside. And you know, there are there are periods where I prefer my offside to my onside. And so like that is a really cool feeling. Like knowing I can come into my offside and know that like people are like, oh, she's a lefty, like, you know, two four is fucked. And then like I can have a better two ball than I had to one ball. It's like, oof, that's a that's a cool feeling. Um, I think another cool feeling, you know, it's really interesting. The uh, the Monday after Miami Pro, we went and skied with Chet anyway, um, even though we were a little bit tired. And he was like, he goes, what do you, what do you think is more fun? feeling he goes do you think winning an event is more fun or do you think like running 39 like learning getting better running 39 is more fun and i was like probably like the latter and he's like really and i was like yeah and he goes yeah he goes i thought so he goes winning is cool he goes but running a lot of buoys because i didn't run a lot of buoys at miami because it was rolly he goes that's more fun and so i mean what was the original question best feeling favorite feeling 
I mean, yeah, running 39 is pretty fun. Yeah. That's a pretty cool feeling. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's pretty cool-ish. Yeah. I feel like running 41 would be cooler. It probably is pretty cool. But it's, the question was favorite feeling. So running 39 can, can be your favorite feeling, and then when you run 41, you can be your new favorite feeling. I feel like doing it right. Do it, yeah. I don't care what line it is. I mean, if it, 38 and above, mm-hmm. like if you're doing it right, and you're swinging right, and you're hooked up right, and you're you're committing correct, correctly, and you're, everything is proper, and your body doesn't hurt because of it, that's when I'm like, oh yeah. You know, that's what I'm obsessed with. That's what I want to achieve every single time I get on the water. I think I've had a handful of passes in my life where I kind of got into a flow state because for me the pass was like happening in slow motion and it was so easy. Um, not easy in that like the load was lighter. It was ext- it was extremely athletic, difficult, you know, high um, velocity skiing. But it was like everything just timed out right because I knew when to do it. And so, like, for me, it was just kind of happening in slow motion, and there was, like, an ease about it, and I had no concept of the past or the future. It was very just, like, buoy by buoy. That's also a super cool feeling. But replicating flow is is kind of hard to – or getting into flow is is hard. You know, it's hard when you're skiing and and you've got a job and you got to go to the gym and you've got stuff going on. It's it's hard to be that present, even for us. It's true. We've gotten better at it, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a learning curve. So someone asked about our training routine. I thought that would be cool to touch on a little bit. Just brief. Like, you know, how many sets we do, what yeah. it looks like week to week. Sorry, Ollie's <laughs> snoring. <laughs> but not a you fan know, of this episode. We so starting on like a Monday for say. Yeah. Um we do chets Monday, Friday. Mm-hmm. Two sets each of chets. We work from chets as well a bit. And then Come home, finish up work, then we go to straight to the gym, then we work out for like an hour and a half, then we come home, we cook and eat, we get maybe like a half an hour or so. <laughs> he is really snoring. Yeah. He's... We get like half an hour or to an hour, just like chill time. Yeah. Tuesday's usually our off day, on normal circumstances. Mm-hmm. Then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Wednesday, Thursday, we're at Okahili doing pretty much the same thing. Yeah. And we go to the gym five days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Monday through Friday is pretty, like, mundane. You yeah, know, I mean, Monday through Friday being different with chats. Yeah, it's pretty repetitive. I mean, it's, like, ski, okay, like, hustle, get back to work, then gym, you know. But, yeah, I mean, I'm working from the lake, like, the entire time, yeah. though. So it's, like, kind of like you can my work lunch from the lake break is driving than I can. Yeah. But then we have the weekend mm-hmm. where we ski at Okihili again. Yeah, ski a couple times each day. And then we, I mean, we try to keep the weekends a little, like, lighter on gym training because we, um, you know, want to spend time with our families. Your family is here um, in the winter. My family lives in Florida full-time now. So, and that's just, like, a healthy... And to do ski or die Yeah, stuff. and to do this kind of stuff. And, you know, like, in terms of, like, training on the weekends, we might take the dogs for, like, a super long walk for some, like, active recovery. But, um we really tried to keep the gym time like five days a week, Monday through Friday, so that the weekends were a little more flexible just for like our sanity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it really is just like... When we're not flying somewhere to go ski. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, it really is ski twice, work, go to the gym, dinner, and then like, you know, normal human stuff. 
Yeah, so... Like we watched some TV and full And we've both and... <laughs> been counting our macros. So we're weighing our food. Yeah, so mealtime is like... I don't know, in a way it's easier because it's like, oh, just eat this many grams of this, this, and this. You know, it's not creative, but it's super easy right now. Yeah. How many days do we have to um, Swiss Pro? It's got to be like 150-something now, something right? Like that, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, when you're looking at that much time, you can either kind of like fall off the wagon and get kind of like, oh, I've got so much time until the next one. Like, I can breathe a little bit. Or, in my opinion, it's like, no, like, let's hunker down because if I get going now, I won't feel panicked coming closer. And that's like, yeah. who knows what's actually going to happen at Swiss Pro, right? But I feel like we have very much like a specified mindset for the off season of what we're going to be trying to accomplish by the time the next season rolls around. Yeah, we're, we're super focused right now, I would say. Like, I think both of us have um, very specific things we're working on in our skiing. We have very specific um, nutrition goals, very specific cross-training goals. Um, you know, which is cool. They're not the same as each other in some ways, but it's still cool to be that focused, mm-hmm. you know, and then keeping in mind, like we enjoyed Thanksgiving. That was totally a family day all day. You know, we're doing the holiday thing. Yeah. Yeah. Not psycho about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we still go have a beer occasionally. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And oh yeah. So just like counting wise during the week, it's six days a week. We ski two sets per day. So 12 yep. sets a week. Minimum. And then... Five days a week we work out. Yep. And for, that's usually an hour and a half. And then I'd say like six days a week of like pretty strict macros with like one day um, where we just don't count stuff. So like either one day where we don't count or three different meals, you know, where like if, I don't know, life just happens. We just go out yeah, for hours or something. Or something. Yeah. yeah. Cool. That's easy. Yeah. Okay. So whoop, someone asked if we, uh, if we adjust our training actually based off of the whoop info. I'd say, like, sometimes. It's not so much adjusting. It's more like, oh, I didn't do well at this in the gym tonight. Well, I didn't have a lot of recovery, and I hit a high, hit pretty high strain in skiing already today. No wonder I don't have any gas left in the tank. For me personally, it's more like a gas gauge. Yeah, no, 100%. The recovery aspect is super huge for me. Yeah. Sleep as well. Mm-hmm. Which are also obviously very correlated, mm-hmm. especially for me. Like, if I get sleep, my recovery is amazing. Yeah. Um, pretty much no matter what I do. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, so I, it's more of like a gauging thing, and you yeah. can do some micro-adjustments because we're already pretty disciplined yeah. along those lines. But I've hit, like, some pretty impressive strains on super low recoveries before just because, like, I wanted to push through, but... But then you knew going to the yeah. next day that it was gonna, you were going to have to scale back a little bit. Yeah. And like I said, it, it's like, for me, it's like a gas gauge in my car. Like, I know how much I have left and how far I could push. I can either choose to, like, stop here and fill up the gas tank a little bit more, or I can really just empty it out and then fill it all the way up. That's kind of how I use it. But um, I rarely scale back on skiing because of whoop. I will change what I do in the gym. If I feel like I don't have a lot left in me, but I, I, I'm not willing to compromise on skiing, okay. personally. So yes, for those who don't know, Whoop is a wrist brand, a wrist band. You can wear like a fitness band that, um, you know, essentially uh, measures your heartbeat and <laughs> yeah. your heart rate, heart rate variability (HRV). Uh-huh. And your resting it, heart rate. Yeah, resting heart rate, and it gives you data based on the quote-unquote strain that they compile. Mm-hmm. That is a daily score they give you that's up to 21 points of strain, mm-hmm. um, and you you know use the band for a specific amount of time when you first get it, so it gives you kind of a baseline. Mm-hmm. 
uh, so it knows kind of like how active you are normally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good it, for it, like it's um, good for sleep too. Yeah, the sleep is really fascinating, and then also it tells you like how many roughly how many calories you burn in a day because nothing is like completely accurate whether it be whoop or an apple watch or anything um so then you kind of get an idea of what you're actually burning in a day which can help you tailor your meal plans even better right um tells you how many calories you burn in a workout you know um your heart rate where it spikes what your average heart rate was yeah it gives you like an actual graph too that you can look at um with a timeline no it's really awesome it's like 30 bucks a month, and it's worth it, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think I it's, it every it's day. great data to have. I mean, we check it all the time. How to get skiing to be mainstream? <sighs> this is a, it's a big question. Um, you know, there's, like, I think a lot of people, really smart people have been saying, it has to be from the top down and the bottom up. The brands cannot fix this themselves, and the, the general water ski population cannot fix this themselves. It's literally an all hands on deck situation that we put ourselves in. You know, when wakeboarding came around, we said, get out of our sandbox. And they said, okay. And they took all the money with them. And we should have played in the same sandbox as them. If, if snow skiing and snowboarding did it together, we should have been able to do it together. So I think we kind of fucked up there. Um, you know, and they took all the money and now it's gone. And now it's going to wake surfing, you know. Um, but I, I, I see things trending in the right way. I think that skiers have got to keep making content, pro skiers. Um, they have to remember that they're not making content for other pro skiers, though. They're making content for the viewer, the, the fan, the, the amateur, the beginner, the anything but other pro skiers. So we have to keep making content for those people because um, we need fans for there to be a sport. Um, I think that we need to make it cool to post about skiing so that amateurs share it and post about it. Um, more content that exists about something, the more legitimate it becomes to the other end of this conversation, which is the brands. If there's eyes on something, brands want to throw money at it to get their brand on it. Um, I think the brands need to pick people who make content for their teams. You know, I totally get picking people and putting them on your teams based on their stats and their world rank and their accomplishments. But if they don't make you any content, you it's just, I don't know how you can afford to make that mistake in this market. And I work for a marketing agency. We run influencer campaigns for our clients. Like this is not my opinion about the industry. This is just how any marketing agency would consult on this issue. You gotta pick athletes for your team who are willing and know how to make content, whether it be well written or well spoken or well edited, like whatever their skill set is. Um, in my opinion, that's a good start. We also need a few athletes to get sponsorships from brands that are not water ski related at all. Um, we need to take the pressure and the power off of water ski brands exclusively and get some other kids in the mix. You know, get some other kids in the sandbox um, so that the, the brands can breathe a little bit in their budget. Um, and then we just get some new ideas and some new inspiration, a new perspective. Nobody knows water skiing better than the water ski brands. That's for sure. They need to make decisions about water skiing by all means. But I think we need a new perspective. Like, what's another way to tell the story? I think that would be really valuable. And I think the minute... Um, a pro water skier can can grab a big brand 
um, and that brand really runs with them as like a face um, will be huge for us. But it's, it's definitely a both ends of the spectrum conversation. Well said. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to add there? I just kind of like... Oh, Why hey, not? that's your that's your wheelhouse. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna step on that. So when you started learning slalom, what rope length did you start at? What did you start at? I, I didn't know. I, mean, I didn't know I little baby stuff back then. I was four years old on what are the, what is that thing called? That's like one piece of wood. The horseshoe. The... Is that what you call? It? I thought it was something else. Like the kidder or is it the kitty or oh, shoot. I well, we called it a ski skimmer. Skimmer. Skimmer board. Yeah. Yes. I was on a skimmer board, <laughs> and my parents were just, they didn't even use the boat. They just pulled me along the shoreline. Yep, same. And then I, you know, upgraded to the boat, and got behind the boat, and I was, like, crossing the wakes on the skimmer board when I was, like, four. Did your ski skimmer have um, a dinosaur on it? I don't remember. Well, the, how do you not remember? I don't remember. I was four. Oh, my God. Okay, well, I think our <laughs> ski skimmer had a dinosaur on it. It was purple. Wasn't and Barney. My first regionals, regardless of your <laughs> skimmer board graphics, my first regionals was long line at Bennett's. Your parents let you six. ski long line? Yeah, yup. And my dad said he was scared I was going to miss the gate, so he said just ski through the gates and pull to one ball, like Andy <laughs> Mapple when he was showing off at 38 off. So I was long line on a kidder salon ski, I was, and I was, yeah, pulled, pulled to one ball through the gates at Bennett's, and I ran a pass, 16 miles an hour, Ooh. long line. Ooh. And I got like one or two buoys at the next, whatever the next speed was. Big money. I know, I was crushing it. <laughs> I don't remember what I skied in my first tournament. I know I, I know I used to slalom at 15 off. Um, when you first began, did you not do any long line? No, long line's stupid. Well, I very quickly learned that. <laughs> no, I don't remember who told my parents, but they were like, don't waste your time with long line. It's a big learning curve to go from long line to 15 off to 20, you know, mm -hmm. start at 15. Um, now, knowing what I know now, I would say going from 15 off to 28 off is a big learning curve. I say start your kid at 28 off and slow the boat down. Or mini course. Oh, yeah, mini course for sure. But, like, when you're trying to get competitive, I think 15 to 22 to 28 to 32. 32 off is going to feel like so much swing speed compared to 15. Yeah. And, and you're pulling. You're, what most people do is they pull all the way to the buoy and then they have all the slack line. Yeah. Um, because they're used to pulling all the way to buoy because of how far behind the boat you are at mm -hmm. the longer lengths. Um, so that's usually it's that 32 off. People just cannot get past it because of that fact. Yeah. At 28, you can kind of get away with it with pulling a long time past the second wake. I think if I had a kid right now and I was like, it was time to teach him to ski, I would be like, hey, you know what? 28 off, we're going to slow the boat down. You're probably not going to run this pass for a long time. That's okay. I want you to get really good at riding the swing. And I'd make it a game about riding the swing versus, like, running six buoys. Like, I would not celebrate running six buoys. I would make it about, like, how well can you swing? How much speed can you carry? Like, how much can you not be afraid of all that speed? And kind of go that route because then the buoys are going to come. Interesting. I wouldn't make it about the, uh, the achievement side of it would not be – how many buoys can you run? It would be how well can you ride the swing? Cool. Yeah, that's where I would be. But um, yeah, I started at 15. He started at long line. What a loser. I know. <laughs> kidding. <laughs> All right. Last one. Mm -hmm. What muscles do you engage after the wake and in the turn? 
multiple muscles do you not engage off the wake and into the turn? Oh my god, I feel like I'm always flexing everything. I'm like, fuck, don't die! <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, you think you're gonna die at all times? No, I'm just like, oh my god, this is so fast. Well, I uh, try and engage my, my glutes a bit. You're doing the, the butt clenching? Butt clench. <laughs> Keep my hip up. That's fair. I don't think I've ever thought about that. I. Well, if you think about it, think about off a second wake. Mm-hmm. Okay, think, just think about it in your head. I mean, I definitely feel a lot of pressure in my outside shoulder mm-hmm. and outside arm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I'm really trying to hold that edge. Mm-hmm. I really don't want to give it away to the boats because I know the end result will be bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that and the butt for me, mostly. Yeah, I think for me it's a lot of like triceps. Rosie, I didn't think that was that bad. <laughs> she doesn't like the tricep idea. No, okay. What would it be then? Okay, it's like a lot of triceps, um, kind of core, like really keeping core, that core yeah. stable. Um, and surprisingly, quads. Really? Yeah, if I take like a lot of time off, which I can't remember the last time I did that, when I come back to skiing, I'm like, wow, I really use my quads to like keep the ski between me and the boat, like really force the ski. Um, but you know what? When I squat, I get sore in my quads before I get sore on my butt. Like I'm a very quad dominant person. That is funny you say that though, because now that I think about it, after like a really hard leg day, mm-hmm. I will be skiing the next day or two days after, mm-hmm. and I feel myself collapse off the second wake, especially into my offside. I'm like, oh my god, I'm literally squatting, my ass is touching the water, because I like my legs just like gave up. Yeah. That's funny that you mentioned that, because yeah, okay, so quads, glutes, per- yeah, personally. core. Triceps. Triceps. I feel like a lot of people do not think about their triceps. They, because they, they're pulling their arms in, right? Which is mm-hmm. a bicep conversation. And we're mm-hmm. talking about the opposite. We're talking about kind of like relax the elbows all the way. I definitely then... use my biceps more than I should. That's why yours look the way they do. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no um, but, you know, and that's really, I feel like what muscles you engage off the second wake and through the buoy also has to do with you maintaining balance so for everybody that's a little bit different because whether you know i have a rear toe piece you have a rear toe piece so we can lift the heel up a little bit which gives us different opportunities to balance doesn't allow us to drive the back foot through as much because there's nothing to push against but it does give us you know easier balance um i don't know what it's like as somebody like with a double boot you know do they engage different muscles because of it's a different balance point you know, I don't know. That's foreign territory to me. So I think for everybody, it's a little bit different. Like you think about, you know, glutes. I don't ever really think about my glutes in skiing, but maybe it's because I don't have to. Yeah. Maybe that's a little more just like... Well, you never lose your hip, really. So that's probably why. For me, I'm always just, I'm just trying to keep my left hip in front of me into my offside Mm -hmm. because I lose it all the time. Yeah, I guess I, you know, I have thought about into my offside, um... For me to be my right hip, not letting it trail, but I never thought about it as glutes, but I did have to use my glutes to get it there. I think I just thought about, oh, like keep that hip in line with the other one. There's more yeah. than one way to say these things. Yeah, well, there's always different perspectives for the same thing, and we're all trying to achieve the same thing. Yeah. You know, we're all trying to be Nate Smith running 25 41s in one season, you know? Yeah, that's a wicked stat to have, man. Wicked. 
Um, all right, well, that's all the questions. Yeah, that wraps that up. Um, we love when you guys send these questions our way, so please do. We're going to have more time this off season to um, record some more podcasts, and we love to answer um, whatever queries you guys send our way. Um, that being said, you guys, our newest collection of Skeered Eye shirts is on the website. This is going to be kind of our staple collection um, for the foreseeable future. Um, some new colorways, some new graphics. I learned some new skills in Illustrator, and you guys get to benefit. So check them out online. Let me know what you think. Um, and I guess we'll catch you guys next time. All right. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks, Stevie.